We're continuing Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah, that's it. But we are, we are migrating into Ephesians chapter 5 today. And so we are working our way there. And Lord willing, two more weeks and three more weeks, excuse me, two after this in this series. And uh, we'll, there you go. And uh, we'll go from there. So, so I've shared with you, uh, and I, I keep repeating this, but I believe repetition is the motor of learning. That is the way it becomes, it sticks. When you put it in front of you, you work it through your mind and continue to engage it. Hopefully it's of, this is of help to you. I don't know, but three things we talked about in the last few weeks, especially in Ephesians 4, in this part of it, is three big superhuman tasks God has given us. One is battling evil advancing and building the kingdom and bringing people to maturity in Christ. Superhuman. Lives will not be changed unless there is some supernatural, not just some, the one, working in our lives and in their lives. People can make superficial changes and people can discipline themselves for a period of time to become better. I get that. But when it becomes transformative, you used to be this, now you're literally something else. You're no longer just stingy. And I quit being stingy. I literally now have a generous heart. I've been changed. It's different. I'm not only being, I've not only been transformed, I am being transformed. It's a continuous, as we've used the illustration of the ladder, God continues to change us. He continues to stretch us to that next rung, lets us get good and comfortable. And again, what? Stretches us again. We know it. We feel it. We understand that God is moving us. And we've talked about that even the last week about the barnness, this discontent that we know in our spirit that God is stirring in us something, that He's changing us, He's moving us, and we can't ignore it. We can harden it. We know that. As I shared with you, I know personal experience of what it means to harden a heart for a decade where you don't even want to hear God. That didn't mean I didn't hear from God in that decade. It just means I didn't want to hear from him. <laughs> so God gives us tools to begin to do this task, this superhuman, these supernatural tools, these supernatural weapons he begins. And, and we get that as, as Nehemiah as Nehemiah was building the wall, and he went out and he surveyed and he rode around. He knew what he had to do. If you look in Nehemiah, I think it's chapter 3, and begins to talk about the fact that the, the people were getting discouraged at 26 days in, okay? And then Nehemiah had to come and remind them, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And in the middle of it, he put a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. Now again... Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't go buy these, okay? Because these are human. We're talking about superhuman tools. The gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that you're being, tra- you're being transformed, but the gifts of the Spirit. God begins to take the experiences in your life, even the deepest hurts, and begin to make them tools in your life. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. God can take the worst, even some of the worst moments in your life. And it becomes a weapon in his hand. Up close. Sometimes we get the sword, but you know a lot of the battle is up close. He doesn't leave us hanging going, hey, I'm calling you to this life, but guess what? I don't have anything for you. You're on your own. And all that mess that's in your past, it's just going to keep hanging on to you. And you're going to walk around every day just going, oh, I'm so weighed down. No, he begins to cut those things off. They begin to drop off. And then when they begin to be used for him and filtered through his spirit, 
And guess what? When the enemy says, remember that sin, and all you need to hear is God speaking the, the words going, I don't even remember this. I forgot them as far as the east is from the west. What are you talking about that sin? Why is that hanging on you? Let's use it as an instrument, as a tool, as a weapon. So as a church, again, like we've said, yeah, something like this could be used for a while as a hammer. Hammer, 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 get some things done, maybe a little bit. But guess what? We've never been taught how to use the tool more efficiently. For what it was designed for, we need to be a station, a place, a lighthouse who are helping people live into that. One of the worst things I think a church can do can stir people up, give them a message of hope, and not show them how to get there. And they walk away every week going, well, that was inspirational for, oh, well, I was inspired until I got the car. Oh, no, I got, wait until I got the lunch. Because I don't know what to do with it. Last week I talked about, and probably didn't use this word as much, but entire sanctification or holiness are being transformed in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24 specifically. And I want to share with you, I believe if you go back, we're, we're Wesleyan in our, in, our, in our background, Wesleyan in our teaching and holiness doctrine. It is embedded in us and in our history to train people to become disciples of Christ and not just preach at you. To challenge you. I mean, the holiness doctrine, if you will, just assumes, it assumes that the Christian journey does not end in being justified, even though I don't minimize it when I say just justified, just saved. But it continues this lifetime of increasing formation and transformation into the likeness of Christ. We just assume that. And then you have to go through some, sometimes you have to go through some, some hell. But God's always up to something. I've even said this before. Sometimes we begin to judge other people for what they've gone through. We look at that and God's really working on us. On how we're going to judge that. Every day we get up. And he's at work. He's at work in my life. He's at work in your life. That we're not going to be what we used to be. That we're not just a reservoir. It, it drives me crazy at times. And I am going to get to the message here in just a minute. But it drives me crazy sometimes to, that people who've been believers a long time are still just trying to soak up all of God's grace and are not becoming the channel of God's grace. It stuns me. It takes just as much grace to live it out 30 years later as it did the day I got saved. Don't misunderstand what, I, what I'm saying here. But I do not want to be caught being a reservoir. I don't want to be caught being some kind of smelly cesspool. Because there's no movement. And there's no flow. We've talked about it in the three hearts. I'm just going to go through these quickly just for if you haven't been here in a while. The... the uh, Three hearts of the natural man, the man who still has self on the throne, the carnal man who still has, has self on the throne still. In other words, they're Christian, but they still, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, you still act like mere men. You still look like you're not saved, but okay. Okay, but you're still selfish and self-focused and self-concentrated. Then there's that seven, Romans seven twenty two, where Paul says in the middle of that, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do, I don't want to do. But seven twenty two says, but I desire God's law in my inner being. Something is happening because you're not born with that. 
you're born bent away. But all of a sudden, God's bringing you to lining it back up. And all of a sudden, self gets nailed to the cross. But it's a daily nailing. I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he, Christ, lives in me. By the way, that's really good news. It's really good news. It sounds heavy. The Barna that we shared last week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but to realize that for most people when they reach number six, they begin to experience this prolonged spot right here where they're kind of going, God begins to be discontent, going, I'm about to move you, I'm about to change you, I'm about to shape you. Henry Blackaby called it crisis of belief. That moment, those moments, that, that critical mass tipping point, Malcolm Gladwell, that, tip, that, that critical mass where if you, don't, if, if you don't tip, then you may tip the other way. It is in that moment. And what most people do, and what we've done in America to try to get enough activity in the church just to keep people stuck at number five because they're not willing to go the other direction, the only way we can keep them is have enough activity. We begin to experience this personal brokenness. And like I said last week, that personal brokenness is we call it in the church and I think that crisis moment, that crisis place. The crisis is not that you've had a terrible incident happen in your life. The crisis is you've come to realize that the worst issue in your life is your self-centered self. And he's got to die. The word says the old man has to die. That's crisis. <laughs> Choosing to surrender and submit fully to God. This radical, radical, radical dependence. And then you see the rest of it. We talk about the five C's here, and I won't go again, don't spend a lot of time there, but our discipleship and what we're going to be working on over this next year, and I've said that a lot of times, but we're intentional, is that we know people, you've come in here today, some of you are all the way over here. You're either ignorant of God, in other words, not stupid, you're just without knowledge, or you're indifferent, you've hardened your heart, or you've come today and you're combative towards any concept of God. There's transition. Or you come today, you're concerned. Is it true? Is it true for me? Is it true for me all the time? Is it a conditional grace? No, it's not. Just so you know. Then you come to know Christ and you're convinced and you become comfortable. In other words, you're secure in your faith. You should be. But if you're not careful, it becomes complacent, just like a husband and wife who got married. We were never designed just to be best friends, okay? We were best friends, but that is a byproduct of loving each other and committed to each other and sacrificing to each other. That's what that marriage is supposed to be about. It's, not, it's more than just being best friends. So if we're not careful, just like a marriage, and I think biblically, scripturally I can back this up, like a marriage... We can become very complacent, right? I know you're not going to divorce me. I know you're never going to leave me. I'm never going to leave you. So we just got a cool agreement here. So guess what? We both just kind of go. Part of the reason we become complacent in your spiritual journey is because you're capped. You're not willing to go through the brokenness. You're not willing to allow this surrender to happen. Then you move to convicted and man, you begin, I can back this up scripturally, so I'm just going through it fast today, and we'll be teaching on it more. But now you're living convicted. In other words, you begin to look at things in your life and go, this is unacceptable. This cannot stay in a child of God. If I'm going to claim what I'm claiming, this can't stay. And I'm going to ask for the tools and the grace and the, and the power to live this out. There begins to be this stirring and an awakening, that Romans 7.22 kind of thought, where it's stirring in you, it's awakening your spirit. Then it becomes this, when I say engage now, you begin to put your hands to the plow to figure out a plan to walk this out. And hopefully you're in a church, if it's not this one, that'll help you do that. Then you become these kind of people. You are compelled. In other words, you don't have any choice, Paul says. I am Christ. Love compels me. It's kind of like me saying about why I do things for Jan. Why I love. I don't do things for Jan to earn her love. I do things for Jan because I am compelled because of the love I already have for her. I want to do those things. Now, all of a sudden, God begins to stir these specifics in your life. He begins to narrow it down through your gifts and graces by your experience. 
experiences by those things he begins to bring and focus and you begin to say no to those other things and he begins to stir this and allow you to have the resources to get there guess what folks i'll tell you this right now there is no magic wand coming i think they went out about two thousand years ago okay they're not coming back it's going to take intention it's going to take passion You know, some of you don't need to get a plan first. You need to get a passion first. You know, you can plan for a long time for something you're not passionate about. Anybody ever done that? Went to school, went to college, got out and got a job and realized, I am not passionate about this at all. Anybody ever done that? A plan is not the first thing you need. A passion is the first thing you need. But one that's given from on high. And sometimes it takes a long time for it to fully come into focus. Get a passion, then practice, then get a plan. Let's read some scripture before I get in trouble here, okay? Before it acts like I'm just running off the top of my head. Ephesians, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but I think it's really important what I just shared with you. Because this is where Paul is landing. And remember, like I said last week, and I'll say again next week, and we'll say if we want to say it next week. But these scriptures are all tied together. It's not like Paul's going, okay, I'm done with chapter 4 now. Now I'm going to jump into chapter 5. It's like a different group of people. No, he's sending it to the same people at the same time in the same letter. Does that make sense? So it's a flow. So don't separate last week's message from this week's message. They're all tied together. I'm going to read where we left off last week. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off a falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Some of you need to underline that. I'm not preaching on it. I'm just saying you may need to. I don't know. And do not give the devil a foothold. Let me say this here. Unresolved anger or unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies from smoke inhalation. It does you, God's doing this as much not for the other person. I'm just telling you, Paul's saying this right here, and he, say, and he talks about forgiveness or those kind of things. It's you. He's trying to save first. And then, obviously, our witness. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, must, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only, boy, with this one, again, we could preach a whole sermon. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Wow. We wouldn't even have, the reality is we probably wouldn't have any cable news channels if that happened, right? (laughs) Just saying. That it may benefit those who listen. But let's take a second, let's take a step back. Let's don't, let's don't deflect what goes on in our own lives. I may have tried to make a funny there, but I do not want it to divert us from what we need to be hearing here. We all deal with it, the tongue. Paul addresses it multiple times here. Along with, anyway, get, excuse me. Uh, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful building others up according to their needs, that is, may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Everybody should say, Amen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Again, back to all of us, uh, uh, to all that. I don't know about brawling, but bitterness, anger, slander. Along with any form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ forgave you. Now, he says all that. Now, the reason why I want to to, to make sure you don't disconnect these, verse 1 of chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, 
as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I like the way the NSAB says this. It says, therefore be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. To be like Christ who gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. Romans 12, 1, 2, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Paul's challenge to us is to grow in maturity. And like I shared with you the other day, Philippians is right behind this. We'll be doing the same thing. <laughs> but among you there must not be an, even a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. All these are tied together here. <clears throat> for, or, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impurity, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That may mean some of you may need to get off social media, okay? <laughs> For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For once, for you were once darkness. And, and, I, and what I like the way this, you, it doesn't say for you were once in darkness. You worry it. But not anymore, baby. (laughs) You don't have to be. But now you you are light in the Lord. You are a channel. You are a conduit. You are a river of rushing water. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I could list the the traits of living, the fruit of the Spirit here. And find what pleases the Lord. Have you been asking Him, what pleases you, God? What is your will, God? What do you want, God? And find what, and, and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. In other words, get up every day because the days are evil. Get up every day with an opportunity to do good for the kingdom. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Let me say this right here, folks. I know some of you, singing's not your deal. But I can't find in Scripture where it's not supposed to be part of your deal. Find your music. Some of you are leaving one of the most valuable tools you have laying on the floor, laying somewhere. God, I think some of you got to pick this up somehow, some way, and begin to use it. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of God. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live as children of light. Be imitators of God. Be the model, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1. Be a model, be an example of what it means. There's four things I'm going to list for you here real quick. Hopefully it will be of some help to you that we've shared here before. It's part of our teaching, or my teaching, I guess, 
on what it looks like to be the marks of a disciple. Obviously, it's arguable. I try to back it up by scripture and catchy phrases. Okay, no, but to, but no, but but where it will make sense, you can look at this and use it or find your own. But I hope it'll be helpful to you in just over the next few minutes. The first one is this: marks of a disciple. You're growing intentionally. You're growing intentionally. I realize good doctrine is important. And you can have all the right theological answers. But if it is not transforming you, you are like a cesspool. You're receiving, but it's not changing you. You're receiving, you're receiving, you're receiving, you're receiving, but it's not going out. You're constipated. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I've talked to some of you. I know. I know that now. What Paul is saying here, he is not just suggesting or merely encouraging when he says be imitators of God. He is challenging you. Be imitators of God. I think this has to be an intentional effort of a healthy individual and a healthy church. We have to be a place where you're getting an opportunity to grow in your faith. You're not totally dependent on us by no means. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're totally dependent on what we do here, we will never do enough because we can't cover all your circumstances. You've got to be allowing the Spirit to lead you and you seek, and we will find ways to begin to resource you. We want to be a resource station. If finances are an issue in your home, we want to be a place where potentially there's Financial Peace University. There's ways to do it. But put tools in your hands. But we can't do it all. And I've had some counseling things over the last few weeks. One of the things I want to say sometimes, help us help you though. Please help us help you. Because we can't do it all. There's too many circumstances. Too many things coming. You're part of this. Because this deeper life that we talk about here is not just for pastors or leaders or teachers. This is for everyone. And from a Wesleyan holiness standpoint, we believe that God's grace provides more than just being saved. And I'm not minimizing just being saved. I love what Wesley's radical optimism, John Wesley says this, the founder of a Wesleyan thinking. He believed that there's more to salvation than one that that runs hot or cold or, or, or having enough religion to make you feel guilty most of the time. Wesley said, by salvation, I mean not barely deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, a recovery of the divine nature, the renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness and justice, mercy and truth. Friends, that is good. There almost is no ceiling on what God can do in your life. That's radical. To be restored, to be reconciled, to be renovated. It's just good news. I sometimes think we do things around here kind of like, you see why I kind of wore my Atlas out. I'm an Atlas guy, even though I use other things. But it's kind of like you mapping out a vacation. Me and you sitting down and mapping out a vacation if we're not careful. You map out the vacation. You say you want to go from Phoenix, Arizona to the the, the vacation capital of the world, Wicks, Arkansas. And you decide... That that's where you want to go. And, we, and I show you how to map it out. I say, well, along the way, you're going to get to see this. Pull over, look at that. You stop here, look at that. Go to the Kennedy Library in Dallas as you're driving through. Or well, whatever. The, or not, not the library, but where we shot. And all those kind of things. You could go through all that. I could tell you all of it. Show you pictures. We could Google most of it. Okay, we can look at all of it. Then all of a sudden, at the end of it, we just close it up and go, well, wasn't that a great vacation? We mapped it out. We knew there were sites along the way. But we never lived it. 
challenging you to live like we're talking about. Continually growing and being stretched and going and growing. It's like challenging your child and having a problem with challenging your child to walk. Come on, let's learn how to jump off the side of the pool. Come on, yeah, you can trust me. Now get a little closer. Anybody ever been there as a dad or mom? No, just stay right there. While I ju- then you scoot back a little further. Teaching them how to swim. It's like apologizing for that. What? That sounds crazy to me. We're never going to apologize for what we're trying to do with that. I'm not saying we will always do it right, but we will never apologize for challenging you to live there. There's too much urgency, I believe, behind it for parents, for husbands and wives, for their families, for our culture. Have you looked at our culture? Have you looked at your home? Have you looked at people around you? We need to grow up and willing to step into the hard places of life. If we're not careful, though, we'll be much like the Israelites. God first had to take them out of slavery, then he had to take slavery out of them. Could it be that for some of you, you've been doing the same lessons over and over for years? Because you're not willing to trust God. You're not willing to grow simply in that. The Israelites coming out of Egypt to Canaan. The land flowing with milk and honey. It should have taken a handful of days. And it did to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And the best I can understand, it's about an 11-day journey. I realize there's millions of people traveling, okay? So it may have taken a little longer than that. But it took 40 years to get there. And most of them didn't make it, by the way. Never got there. What journey in your life right now is taking way longer than it should? Are you bound up by because you desire comfort? And God keeps nudging, nudging you, going, no, it's not that. You're bound up because you, you like control, and God's going, no, you're going to have to let go of that. Is it bound up because you want approval all the time, but God's going, no, you've got to snap that one too? I don't know. Heart's desire to hunger and thirst the word says. Blessed are those, those Jesus' words, not Paul's, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Gathering regularly would be the second one. And I, I believe it's still critical, even though I know in the valley here, two times a month is pretty regular. But I will say this, you know, when I, 25 years ago when I got into this, people attended most of the time three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, almost religiously, if you will. And one of the things that's complicated inside the church, I'll just say this part right now, is that we've done a little study here recently that we're a church of about 190, just so you know, that's about what we average here. But if you did 190 25 years ago, 25 years ago, you would probably have about 240 people on your responsibility list because people were there most of the time. Today, right now, on our responsibility list is 350 because there's a hundred more because the people are only showing up twice a month or less, okay? But in there, here's the challenge. Inside of that is 25 years ago, there's very low expectation because there's only four ways you could get a hold of me. U.S. mail, office and home phone, and face-to-face. But it's not just the accessibility of what happens inside of a church the way we're doing it now. It's the expectation of that accessibility. And it's unsustainable. I'll just let you know that. But let me say this about gathering. Most people look at the worship times as we have here, what's what's best for them. I'll just say it. Most people do. 
what they can get out of it. And if they don't see the need, they don't come. We want to be a place here at Renovation. I realize when I did those five C's earlier, everybody can come and everybody's welcome. And you know that. And you know my heart well enough on that. Wherever you land in this. But we want to be a place that you're known so well that what people think of you does matter. Because I believe the soul of the church is experienced as a supernatural ethos of the community of believers coming together. The essential meaning of the Conania embraces concepts convey the English terms community, communion, joint participants, sharing, intimacy. Richard Foster's statement, which I love, and he says in book Celebration of the Discipline, he says, when the people of God meet together, there often comes a sense of being gathered into one mind, becoming of one accord. When we, go, when we are truly gathered into worship, things occur that could never occur alone. There is the psychology of the group, to be sure, and yet it is so much more. It is divine interpenetration. This is what the biblical writers called Conania, deep inward fellowship in the power of the Spirit. It's supernatural. We can't create it. But I'll say this. It's one thing to be here on Sunday. We want to be a place, though, if we're gathering together. We don't want just to be a place where you're inspired by God. We want it to be a place where when you walk out of here, you live all week long indwelled by the living God and knowing you are His and He is yours and you are on a mission. That's what our desire is. And we've said this over and over. We use the term influencer here a lot. But we've said this over and over. We don't want you to follow our lives or be around us and us mentor your discipleship you so you'll be more like us. We want to do what we do here so you'll be more like Jesus. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Third one, giving sacrificially. I know people can give to United Way. I know people can give to a lot of different things to PCH, which is a great thing. Phoenix Children's Hospital is an awesome thing, and people should give, and I'm not minimizing that. Or Point Loma Nazarene University, or we could go down the list. But I tell you, there still should be a supernatural giving to a place that you believe God's anointing and fragrance and aroma is moving in that congregation. I believe that. I love as the old saying says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Stewardship of all things, including our tools and weapons. But guess what? Finances are one of those. And sacrificially giving means more than finances, but it does include that. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. So I think I'm on good ground. Martin Luther said there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And we do believe here, and I don't believe it's... Let me say this. I don't believe whether you tithe or give here is a salvation issue in itself for you. In itself. But obedience is a concern. And I believe giving is a deeply spiritual, personal issue. But I would be remiss. I would be out of step with God if I didn't challenge you in that area. But let me tell you, folks, I've been giving for almost 30 years, and I've only been a pastor 25. So I was giving way before I was ever on a staff, and part of that is the way I pay for my house and pay for my car. And you may not like that, but that's what happens. I pay for things. But let me say, it's not between me and you. And it's not between you and Renovation Church. It's between you and God. And as I've said before, you can come here and never give a dime and do most taking than you do giving. And we're going to love you. But I hope you come to a place where you'll be uncomfortable at times because you realize that you may not be walking in obedience to what you should be doing. Not because I can make you feel uncomfortable because that's my mission. It's because the Spirit is stirring in you. Some of you are stuck right there on your giving. You're stuck. You've been capped spiritually. 
Man, has it never been an obligation. I'm excited. I used to flip houses. I mean, I know we give regularly because of my, my uh, salary and Jan works too. And she has all these years we've been in ministry. And I know everybody may have an opinion on that, but she works. But I tell you, one of the greatest joys for me, we give regularly out of my salary. But to be able to write a check when we used to flip a house, when, I used to, when, when Jan closes on a house, to write that tithe check plus is a joy. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to write it if it's a check. Some of you don't write checks, and some of you don't even know what they are if you're in the room. I get that too. <laughs> I realize I, I just dated myself. I get that part. What I'm saying is, and we've given no matter what. I love what I heard one of my friends say one time, said about his head. He said, he's talking about the church and people are going and going. And he said, I'm never going to quit going and I'm never going to quit giving. <laughs> That's a good philosophy. The spiritual life is deeper than that, just so you know. But it is, it's a good philosophy. And tithing is more than just raising, I just say this, tithing is more than just raising funds for the church, folks. It stands alongside what I'm doing up here today, I believe. It stands alongside what we were doing up here earlier and what you guys were doing in response to it. Billy Graham says, We have found it in our home, as we have thousands of others, that God's blessings upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps to go further than the ten-tenths without his blessing. Giving, I believe, I heard years ago, really isn't giving till it changes your lifestyle. Sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. Because I believe people will invest where their treasure is. They just will. The last one is going daily. When you look around our culture... Wouldn't you love to get up every day? Some of you don't want to get up and watch the news because it just overwhelms you and makes you sick. Or you can look at it like Romans, I think it's 117, as McManus would refer to it. It says, the, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. He, said, he literally translates it this way. The, light, the righteous shall thrive in unpredictable change. We as believers should be getting up every day with us. Not an arrogance, not a head up above everybody else, but with a countenance and a, and, and, and a resolve that we've got an answer to all this. We have an answer to this question we keep throwing out there. We've got an answer to healing. We've got an answer to restoration. We've got an answer to reconciliation, not only back to God, but to, to their whole lives back, put back together. We've got, we got an answer for putting groups of people who will never talk to each other back together. That scripture there says, I'm going to quit forming opinions about others. I'm just going to love the way that Christ would love. And again, we've said over and over here, folks, if I could walk through life every day with the attitude of Christ, and that is, I don't, I don't, have, I don't love people that agape love. I am a channel. I am a, I'm a river of God's love. If I can walk through life every day, and it's not based on what people have or have not done to me or for me or against me, whatever. It is based on who I am in Christ. Guess what? For some of you, you've been let out of Egypt, but Egypt is still living in you. There's a lot of reasons that we get into circle number three in the five C's. Of why you're capped. And for some of you, yeah, it may be that you go through life every day and all you can do is focus on you. And I realize there are times we need to process things and we need to get healthy and whole. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that with all my heart. But we can't stay there. And if we're not careful, we will get other people who are, who are as broken as we are and we just become this broken and then nobody's getting healed. Nobody's getting restored. Somebody's waiting for you to get healed. You're part of the answer to all this. What's going on out there, if you will, out there, I don't, I mean, we're part of out there, we're part of the problem, but guess what? You're part of the answer too. You're just part of the answer. That's what? 
children of light. Jesus, as he went through the towns, okay, I think it's Matthew, what is it, Matthew, you don't, have to, you don't think you have it up there, Matthew chapter 9, just Jesus went to the villages and the towns, and he saw the people, and he had compassion. Guess what he did? He went, he saw, and then he had compassion. Some of you want to have compassion by sitting at home eating your Fruit Loops and watching the news. You got to go, baby. You got to be out there. You got to rub shoulders with those people that are so different than you. You got to smell them. You got to touch them. And I, you know what I mean by that. You've got to be in the right place because then your heart will break then. And quit talking about all your story. If you're healed already, there'll be moments for that. But listen. But what I love about that passage in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus goes on to say, say pray. He started saying, he didn't say pray for the unbelievers. He said, pray for the workers of the harvest. What he's saying is, I'm afraid, guys, what I'm afraid of is my church is not going to pay attention. David Platt says this, talking about that passage of Scripture. He said, I would have expected Jesus to say, you guys see the need, the harvest is plentiful, so pray for the people who are harassed and helpless. Pray for them. But that wasn't what he said. Jesus didn't say pray for those who are lost. Instead, he told the disciples to pray for the church. Why do you think Jesus would look at the crowds around him with all their deep needs, then turn to his disciples and tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harassed and helpless multitudes, Apparently, his concern was not that the lost would come to the Father. Instead, his concern was that his followers would not go to the lost. Thomas Carlyle says, Conviction is worthless until it converts into a daily conduct. We can all agree here. And I'd say most people in this fair-minded people in this room agree with what I just said. But that's not conviction. And that's not passion. And you may even agree on all four things I talked about. Growing, yes, I should. Gathering, yes, I should. Or we should. Giving, yes, we should. Going, yes, we should. But that's here. It's the conviction. The tipping point, again, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, of a moment of critical mass that everything is on the table. My family, my career, my status, my finances, my future, my past, my health, my opinion, my emotions, my fears, my circumstances. When we begin to lay this at his feet and say, you do with it as you wish, We are saying to him, I can trust you. No matter what the outcome, I can trust you. Just sign him, you'll come up as we close. I know it looks like I went long today, but it's shorter than what I thought it was going to be. So there you go. (laughs) And I had this bright ideal today. I need to do it for, I thought, I'm just going to sit down today and preach. That did not happen. <laughs> as I've shared with you guys, my, as I shared my gifts and graces, as you've seen from Street Finders and all the different things, my number one in my personality is Challenger. And just like you, I have to figure out a way to live into that. Is it best done as a lead pastor? I'm not totally sure. I've said this for years. I think I'm probably pretty decent in small doses. I'm not sure in large doses it goes well. <laughs> I just I, I believe that because I do believe that God has a great plan for your life, that the enemy really has come. Jesus really was truthful when he said the enemy has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have this maximum life, this abundant life. I can only believe Jesus. 
But I'll say this, if we're not going to do that, then the money we give here and all the things that we do in gathering of time, I would wish you guys would go serve somewhere on Sunday morning to go help the Red Cross or United Way, go do something like that or PCH, because they need the help and they need the money. If we're not unusual, peculiar as the royal priesthood, if you are the holy nation, if we're not that, then we need to be doing something else. And it's okay. Or, it is all that. Right? What's at stake? If you don't think your family's not at stake, then don't do anything. If you don't think our culture's not at stake, then don't do anything. I'm not saying you have to do it here. Just go do something somewhere. If you believe it's really at stake. If you don't believe your neighbors are not at stake, then this is kind of a waste of time for you. I mean, we want you here, but it's just kind of a waste of time. But keep coming. Because who knows, somewhere the Holy Spirit may go, (laughs) reach in and grab your heart and rip it out of your chest. And say, you're not getting it back till you follow after me with everything you have. There's a great battle going on for your family and for mine. For my neighbors and my friends. For our community, our state, our country, our world. If I'm going to go into battle... I want to know when I lift that gun up that I'm not pointed at myself. (laughs) I want to know how to do it. We need to be equipping. You need to be desiring it for his glory and our betterment. God, help us today. Lord, help us just to grasp One, the love you have for us, it is so wide and so deep that that love is not just something we soak in, but Lord, it begins to change us. And the things of the old way, the old man have no room left because the things of you begin to push them out. Lord, for some people here today, They may just need to stop trying to stop doing certain things in their discipline of faith, but they may today need to just become more like you and let those things figure their way out. But help us today, Lord, as we close this part of Ephesians 4 and 5. As we march on, but Lord, help us, empower us to be children of light. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Won't you stand? I'm going to sing just a little bit. I won't keep you long. Even though I was in the car business, now one of my favorite parts is to negotiate. I would never try anybody or manipulate anybody to follow after God just because I could talk fast enough. It is really you. And all I can do is walk away each day going, did I leave it on the table? I leave it all in the field. That's all I know to do. God's will be done. As we sing just for a few minutes.